Say it ain't so, I will not go Turn the lights on, carry me home Keep your head still, I'll be a mill I will go on, a little windmill Shanana-na-na-na-na-na Oh, hello! Hi! Hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Getting your thoughts, your questions, your comments here for those of you joining live. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, if you have issues with audio, video, or knee pain, I can help with all three. I can help with all three. I can't solve the third, but I can give you tips. Give you tips. Here's the thing. I always knew I was going to have bad knees. Like in high school, I played basketball. You could feel some knee pain coming, you know, but it wasn't like, you know, I still played, right? Things were fine. Um, but it's one of those things where you're like, oh, this is this will probably be bad later. But you don't you don't quite know when it's going to hit, you know? And obviously I've had aches and pains as I've journeyed here into adulthood as a dad. But uh, mid-30s, it's just like, oh, no, they just, just every day. <laughs> what did I do yesterday? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And now, and now the back's starting to join. That's what I was most worried about. I was like, I think I can avoid the back stuff. I think I can dodge that. Nope. Nope. Tweaked my back once this summer. Hitting a lefty layup, contact on the right side, and one. Made it. Of course I did. Playing for funsies on vacation. And, uh... And, and now the bat, it's just like, now it's just, oh, no, that's just going to hurt now all the time. But enough about my exciting life. We're going to talk about some comics today. We're going to talk a little bit about Spider-Man 2, like a very little bit, like the littlest bit I've started playing technically for like 12 seconds. Um, I got some X-Men thoughts. There were 8 million new comics today. 17 trillion new X-Men comics. Don't do them. Don't try to make that math work. It will not. And uh, and I have thoughts on a number of them. Let's see. We had a new Uncanny Avengers, new Uncanny Spider-Man, Jean Grey. Then we had an Immortal Thor issue, uh, Wonder Woman, Flash. Both had second issues. We might talk about a little bit. Uh, but get in your questions, get in your thoughts, and we will talk about them as well. Let's start with Spider-Man 2 because I have very little to say about it. I am incredibly excited to play this game. Like, so excited. The most excited I've been to play a video game, I think, all year. I mean, like, I've spent most of this year video game-wise. I put a lot of time into Marvel Midnight Suns. <laughs> like, a lot. <laughs> and it's actually, like, surprisingly good. But, you know, once you get it, you got it. And uh, I'm so excited to play Spidey 2. I, I did the Sandman opening yesterday. Uh, and then like the first two Spidey and Miles things, and that's as far as I've gotten. So I, I'm not deep in the game. I'll talk about it once I've gotten further, kind of talk about the story. But it's just like, it's so nice. I mean, there's the mechanics and there's the familiarity with it. You know, I've played all these, you know, the, the, I play the whole game, DLC, Miles stuff, right? I've, I've done all of it. Um, so the mechanics are familiar and they're very enjoyable. But just like, there's a comfort, a weird amount of comfort to this story. Just being like, oh, good. Like I'm back in a, a good Spider-Man universe <laughs> like like there's just a weird familiarity for something that you've put that many hours into gaming um that i have not felt you know in the comic side of things with spidey ever in my life uh you know like like in current day continuity spidey stuff i think you feel it with the spider-verse movies too 
where it's like the second across the spider verse, you know, gets going. It's like just that comfort of, Oh good. We're in good hands here. This is going to be an awesome Spider-Man story. Um, that, that has not been the case with comics in my comics collecting lifetime, which is a shame, which is a shame, right? You feel that in various runs. You feel that in the Lee Dicko when you go back and read the Silver Age. It's like, oh, what a what a nostalgic comfort. It's not even my nostalgia. I wasn't even there. Okay, so anyway, I've got way more to play uh, on Spider-Man 2. I'll talk about it when it comes. Somebody here in the comments uh, says, you should try the Resident Evil remake games. No chance. Way too scary. Way too scary. What, am I going to play them in the middle of the day during work with all the lights on? Get out of town. Much too spooky. During Halloween season, nonetheless? You're telling me play Resident Evil games? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to invite that specter of haunt into my home in the evenings. Come on. I have to get to sleep. I have children. I have a family. I have a family. And you're telling me play Resident Evil games? Get out of town. I've heard good things. I've definitely heard good things. Let's see, what other games? The, the next games, when I find gaming windows, God of War 2, for sure. Love the first game. Um, that's my next one. And then Zelda, Tears, uh, what is it? <laughs> What's the game? Tears of Heaven, right? It's the Eric Clapton version of Zelda. Isn't that what it is? Kingdom of Heaven? What's, it's, it's like the real, it's really Christian, the Zelda. <laughs> it's all about getting into the Kingdom of Heaven. Is it Eric Clapton? giving a sermon about getting into the kingdom of heaven? What is what is the new Zelda game? Let me know in the comments. Show me that, that some people are paying attention. Um, Pepto says, nothing gets Spider-Man's core like non-comics. It is wild. I Once we get, once I get deeper into the game and I have, I have a better sense of what's actually happening in my Marvel Spider-Man 2, I will be curious. I, ha I have a mild amount of skepticism that... Spider-Man gets its story is actually very overrated because the experience of gaming through it is so fun that it gives you a sense that like the movie is better than it is. But if you actually consumed the narrative as a movie, right? If you put those cutscenes on like it was actually built into an actual movie, it would not hold its own in quite the way it feels like it does when you're gaming through it, you know, because it's a different exercise, right? Narrative and video game writing is, of course, a different exercise than actually writing for screen. So I'm saying even if you adapted it, though, I'm saying like, no, you'd, you'd see probably more holes if it wasn't so fun to hit circle every time a bullet was incoming. Um, but I'm I'm curious if I'll feel that way going through Marvel Spider-Man 2. I don't, I don't know how much I stand by that. I've just got that sense. I've got that feeling. Uh, Bill says here, Tears of the Kingdom. Okay, I was close. I was close. We've got Tears of Jesus suggested. We've got Passion of the Zelda. Um, Zelda of the Kingdom of God. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of options for what the new Zelda game is. But of course, I got I to put the time. I got to put the time into that. You know, I do. I saw Ryan North tweet today. Ryan North, current writer of Fantastic Four. One of my famous, uh, my famous, one of my famous friends. <laughs> one of many. I have interviewed him, so I think technically that's true. Um, one of my favorite comics writers currently said he's working or worked on an Iron Man video game, which one super cool. Ryan North's working on that Two, super cool. There's an Iron Man video game coming. Um, that gives me really high hopes that North was involved that I, I, what I'm getting at there is like, I did have that thought just playing Marvel Spider-Man two for like a second that I'm like, I think 
I kind of might just be into superhero video games now. Like, I think that might just be my thing now is, is the, like the last bastion of potential for enjoying the superhero medium in potentially new and exciting ways is video games. Not that it, obviously it's been done, right? The Spider-Man games are out, Batman Arkham Asylum kind of, you know, I think reinfused what people's expectations and the possibilities of what could be done. What's like the best? Obviously, there, there's a huge PS2 Spidey fan club, right? I'm not really a subscriber to that, but I also didn't have a PlayStation. I was a Nintendo kid. Um, so, because for me, as a Nintendo kid, I'm like, there weren't really good superhero games growing up. You know, is kind of how I feel about it. Like, I, I would always, always get sucked in to, like, the movie tie-ins. So I had, like, the Wolverine game or, like, 2003 Hulk game. I would always get sucked into those because I wanted them to be great experiences. I think that was like GameCube probably, right? It's GameCube era. Um, but they never measured up to what Nintendo really cared about, you know, the Marios and Zelda and DK64 or Banjo-Kazooie, the greatest game of all time. Um, so, like, I don't and – then, and then there was the whole – and then it kind of became a wave of, like, well, superhero games are – and somebody just referenced it here uh, – Marvel vs. Capcom. Or DC Injustice. And I don't really care for beat-em-up, one-on-one Mortal Kombat-style video games that much. It's just not my jam. I like story. Um, I like playing through story, having that opportunity. I like open world. Uh, those don't deliver that. And um, it just kind of felt like that was what it was going to be. And then Batman Arkham Asylum kind of kind of became the thing. Uh, I'm seeing Superman 64, which I don't think I ever played. I don't know how I never played Superman 64. Is it great? Is it secretly amazing? I, th I think I still have the 64. I may have to go back and find that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, you know, I, I feel like there's there's a lot potentially still to be. Oh, you know what? Actually, no, X-Men Legends. I flip and loved and Ultimate Alliance. What am I talking about? I've, yeah, I love those games. <laughs> <laughs> those are amazing. Of course, there have been good other games. Uh, nonetheless, I do feel like the excitement I can feel right now for hype around an Iron Man video game dwarfs the excitement I can feel around an Iron Man TV show or movie, I think, in the MCU. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine that inversing, but... The same was true four years ago the other way. Uh, and then a comic, which has always been my preferred medium. It, it, if you got the right creators involved, I could get more excited, probably, about an Iron Man comic. But it's, I don't know, really. Really? Like, like if there's, if you're going to tell me, okay, you can have a pretty good Iron Man comic or a pretty good Iron Man video game. I think I'm going with the video game at this point. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking. Um, Avengers, you know, the Avengers video game had some ideas. It did. I, I, I put a lot of hours into that. Um, I think Cap and Hawkeye were my favorites to play. It was, I liked the idea of it. The narrative was fine. You know, it just, it was never super exciting. Obviously, it never quite worked the way you wanted it to. 
Uh, oh, Uli points out here, the Daniel Way written Deadpool game still holds up. That is my favorite Deadpool media of any possible Deadpool. I like it better than the Ryan Reynolds stuff. I like it better than any Deadpool comic I've ever read. And except for you are Deadpool, except for Al Ewing's choose your own adventure. You are Deadpool. It is second as far as being literally the best Deadpool story and an experience of all time. It goes one, choose your own adventure. Al Ewing written. You are Deadpool Two, Deadpool on Xbox 360 three Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, the first movie. Four, pick your favorite Deadpool comic. The comics are a secondary to Deadpool. It's weird. The comics are never the medium Deadpool was actually meant to excel in. Like Deadpool is built for other avenues, for video games and movies, really, um, in, in terms of what it's trying to do. So, yes, great call out. Great call out. That's nice. Vengeance here says Wonder Woman, Thor, and Aquaman games would be really nice to have. Hard to imagine a good Aquaman game, but maybe that's just my childhood fear and frustration of underwater levels coming to light. Um, Every game had the one underwater level, and it always sucked. It was always too hard. Uh, A Thor game would rule a Wonder Woman. And name a character. It's, It's hard to name a character where I'd be like, that video game wouldn't rule. I think that's a challenge. That is a challenge I present to you, is name the character. Don't name, listen, Alpha Flight is not an option. You cannot name Alpha Flight. I do not care to see that in the chat. I think it's vulgar. I think it's obscene. I will have to mute, block, and ban you if you suggest that. But otherwise, but otherwise, name a Dr. Doom video game. A fantastic, just a Fantastic Four video game. There are no, there are no wrong answers. Now, all of this too is just like, yeah, if it's flipping great, <laughs> it'd be fun, <laughs> right? So much easier said than done. Uh, let's see. Jordan suggests Steve Ditko's Mister A the Game. You're telling me you wouldn't day one buy Mister A the Game on Switch? <laughs> That's a day one buy just to see the insanity. Of what that is. That reminds me, I've got an unopened copy of Black Sad for PS5. Never, never touched it, but I've got it. I need to play that. I need to play the Black Sad video game. What a great comic. You ever read Black Sad? If you haven't read Black Sad, drop all your X-Men books. No joke. No joke. If you have not read any Black Sad, do not touch an X-Men comic until you've read all of Black Sad. You can thank me later. Uh, let's see. James says Wolverine's Revenge was pretty good. Chris says Alpha Flight 64. Okay, Chris, just gonna ban you real quick. Thanks. All right. Uh, let's see. Blue Marvel, the game. He would never be playable. What does that mean? (laughs) Why? Why is he not playable? I I don't get it. I feel like there's a meta thing there that I'm missing. Uh, Vass says, I would love an Exiles video game. Yep, that would rule. Andrew Thompson says, 8-Ball. A Daniel Klaus reference. Daniel Klaus, 8-Ball, the video game. I'd wait I'd wait and see. I'd wait and see what that got on Metacritic before I bought it. That's fair. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Vincent. Vincent. 
How dare you? How very dare you, says Daredevil VR game. Come on. Come on. Through Daredevil vision, though? That'd be pretty cool. You know, like Marcos Martin kind of visualizes it in the Mark Waid era. You know, so you, so you get the, the visual of what how Matt experiences the world. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Anthony says Superman 64 is bad. Don't play it. Okay. We're not dusting off the 64. We're not dusting it off, apparently. Let's see. Vengeance says Doctor Strange or Constantine game sounds crazy in my head. There's, I don't know how you do it. Honestly, I feel like a Doctor Strange game has to, I listen, I'm not a real gamer here, but like, like Bloodborne territory, if you can get into just where the, the thrill of the visuals of these nightmare worlds and the monsters is kind of part of it, a Doctor Strange game could be insanely cool. You know, um, I, there's no bad answer. There's no bad answer. I want all of these. I want, absolutely want all of these. But of course, the challenge. A Constantine game would be hard. That actually seems difficult. I don't know if I'd be as into that. Okay. Uh, speaking of things that are hard, no, <laughs> that I would be into, uh, not really. X-Men's relaunching. We talked about this last week. Last week, I'm very glad we had the conversation we did last week, where I finally said... Listen, I'm I'm done trying to to be a voice of reason. I'm done trying to instill calm amongst a fan a, a panicked fan base <laughs> of of Marvel and X Men comics readers. Every time I come out and say, "Oh, you know, I bet there's a real chance this is the end of an a Krakoan age, but there could be a second, and we could retain this element in that." Every time I do that, then the next you know, needle drops and and all of a sudden I look like a fool yet again because things are changing exactly the way the panicked fandom fears they are going to change. And that was vindicated once again. As I said, listen, the Krakoa era is over. It is done. It is ending with House of X and, and or what is it? Fall of the House of X and Rise of the Tears of the Kingdom coming in 2024. And, uh, and that's it. That's it. It's ending then. Kieran Gillen said, I'm out. He said, Al Ewing's out after his X-Men saga. Then that's the end of the X-Men saga. And I said, okay, fine. I'm, I'm done. Listen, the writing is all on the wall. Everyone is telling us this. I'm not going to continue to pretend there is, there is some hope <laughs> for this era continuing. It's going to hard reset. And Tom Brevoort basically confirmed as much in his most recent email newsletter, Visage, um, or Missive. He, he wrote how he is working on this relaunch how he is making all of these decisions. Surprisingly, singularly, I thought, as far as the vision, you know, when you think about House and Powers and what that vision was for X-Men comics, and it was obviously very creative-driven by a storyteller who fans worldwide really love, um, and then that setting the foundation for one of uh, the most uniquely collaborative uh, creative environment I've seen in big two comics. And then you see what sounds like Tom Brevoort kind of building that foundation himself, but as the editor of the line, as opposed to the creator who's going to tell the big foundational story. I don't know how much collaboration might actually be involved. This is one email newsletter, but the way it was framed 
is surprisingly singular. I think that's going to put fear into the hearts of the doubters, <laughs> certainly. Um, but it's also described as a relaunch, which, like, I think we can stop pretending it's not a relaunch now. You know, uh, it's, and, and listen to like, this is one of the earliest warnings I gave in Crack and Krakoa. Whenever I talked about the Morrison New X-Men run or Chuck Austin stuff, I was like, this is what happens after any sign of vaguely experimental progress. Marvel gets scared. And the next run is a semi-regressive, conservative, back-to-basics era. This is not a guaranteed bad thing. Let us be clear. This doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think a lot of fans really enjoy things like X-Men Number 1 by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee, like Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. Whedon's so hot right now. Um, but people like those runs. They do. But those are hardcore we got to reset back to basics type books. Um, and they're also relaunches, right, of a new thing or of a title or of an era. This is what happens. History is repeating. It might not be bad. It might not be bad. The comics will be good. I will check some out. But we don't have to wait and see. <laughs> I Listen, I, I mock a lot on here the fandom of eternal patience. But, like, I promise you, we don't have to wait and see that this era is going to reset. It's happening. It's going to be way more back to basics. It's going to have more traditional superhero team vibes. Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Gene, Colossus, Professor X, they're going to be more uh, at the front of these teams and more a part of the conversation. Books, Focused in on Nanny and Orphan Maker and, and flipping Alex Summers and uh, uh, Grey Crow. They're going to be fewer and further between. Might space for that open up if the thing is successful? Yes. But, like, I will be shocked if the Brevoort era doesn't begin with an Uncanny X-Men number one. We're bringing it back. It's been five years without Uncanny X-Men. Here's the team. It's going to look real familiar. Like, that's what it's going to be. We, we don't have to pretend we don't see that coming. It might not be bad, but we don't have to wait. I promise you. I don't share the, uh, the outrage, the, the anger of the Krakoan diehards, you know, at all. Um, I'm... Bummed, I suppose. There's a sadness. There's a bittersweetness to the Krakoa era ending. There is. Uh, but at the same time, there were 7 trillion X-Men comics out today. And how many of them felt vital? Give me a number. I'm going to set the line at a half. Okay? You can make the case for one. It's the right time for a shakeup. There were 7 million X-Men comics out today. And how many of them felt important? Forget just objective good and bad, right? We can't settle on that. But how many of them felt important, meaningful, not aimless, like a part of something, driving to something? It's the right time for a shakeup. It is. Good things have endings. Endings are a good thing. It is the right time for this end of the Krakoan phase. Would I prefer... In environment 
where Uncanny X-Men launches with the mansion on the Red Planet, on Araco, and making use of the Foundation and building a second Krakoan Age, but in a new territory, in new direction, with the teams and the superhero familiarities and all that stuff that Brevoort's going to want to bring to it? Yes, I would. I would. Um, to me, that's the best version of what we could get. Because, like, there are some elements that I think fandom fears. Like, the return to the mansion is the go-to, right? Everybody's like, oh, we can't go back to the mansion. And what that signifies, again, like, I don't I don't think it's a, it's much of a commentary on the actual architecture of the, of the home of Professor Charles Xavier and the um, excessive uh, spending of, of those who live in mansions. Couldn't you have 75 fewer rooms and, and fund housing for people in need, I think is, is fair commentary. Um, but I don't think that's what most people are coming to it from. I think they're coming to it from the perspective of the mansion signifies a return to stories we have been told before and a return to the stale. And I don't want to go back. I don't want to go, because like, I, there's a weird, it's like all these, I don't know about all these, but like there's kind of a weird um, coming out of the woodwork. There's like a, a bit of a party for the folks who didn't like Krakoa, right? For the comics readers and the X-Men quote unquote fans who were bothered by the Krakoa era or it never quite connected with them and they never sunk into it. There's kind of all of a sudden you see some of those voices popping out of the woodwork being like, finally, it's our time. Let's go. <laughs> Which is, to me, like a really weird position to be in. Um, but you can kind of see, especially now, some of the ideas, like some of the things that probably those readers are looking for are not bad ideas. Like, like I said, there were 75 trillion X-Men comics today. Look at the team lineups on these books. They're bizarre. They're odd. That in and of itself is a selling point to certain fandom obsessives and certain types of readers. It is a massive turnoff to, I think, the market at large. And I think it is also not in and of itself inherently interesting. What you do with that can be interesting. Obviously, I point to Hellions every time this comes up and Zeb Wells and the creative team turning what looked like a joke team lineup into a joke book that was excellent, right? It can work in the right hands, um, but more often than not, it doesn't, actually. More often than not, it's pretty forgettable. It is not the weirdest desire. It is, in fact, probably the most common desire to see a framed big picture next summer of Uncanny X-Men number one coming to a comic shop new you with Cyclops, Emma, Wolvie, Beast, Nightcrawler, Storm, walking towards the X-Jet, right? Like, that is that is what most X-Men, uh, uh, people who would consider buying an X-Men comic, potential fans, are looking for that. They are not looking for dark X-Men with Azazel and an M-Plate, <laughs> right? And I actually do think that got, that's actually gone overboard. That's actually like gotten out of hand. Um, and it's gotten out of hand, I think, especially through like the fall of X, I guess is that's kind of the whole game. 
that's kind of the whole game is mutant kind is scattered and scattershot and there is no center. That's kind of the point, but it also makes for a difficult reading experience. I think in a lot of ways, I, I like, I think Marvel comics operates at its best when there's a clear center. Um, and that applies very much to an X line, but even go back to like the destiny of X. I mean, you had an X-Men team, but again, there was, you know, it was a bit experimental except you had, you know, you did have Gene and Cyclops at the center of that. Um, the council offered a real nice center. I think that's why Immortal X-Men works so well, in addition to obviously Karen Gillan and Lucas Warnick being awesome. Um, you know, but that was the center of this era, certainly, in terms of, like, we know what these characters are. We know the journeys they're on. We know their deal. But even that stuff is, like, everything's just kind of spread. It's real spread out. There's a lot of focus on all these minor characters often at the expense of the characters that people have historically cared the most about, you know? Um, so it's like there, there's a kernel of a pretty reasonable desire there. Now, I like taking that desire and blending it with these awesome, really interesting foundations that have been set up and not just dumping the thing entirely. And I think it's it's fair to still give some benefit of the doubt that like the Tom Brevoort led era of X-Men is not going to just completely dismiss the fact that mutants like started a nation. <laughs> like, like it's probably going to come up now this being Marvel, it could come up like twice in the first two issues and then just never get talked about again. That is possible, but I kind of don't expect that either, you know? Um, so it's one of those things where, like, it is it is the right time for a relaunch. I think that might make people bittersweet, but it, or it, I think the era is going to feel bittersweet regardless. Um, but the fans who are like, oh, well, I'm never buying an X-Men comic now because they ended Krakoa. <sighs> I, I, I might be totally checked out on the era. I might look at it and say, yeah, it's way too back to basics, and I actually find it incredibly boring. And I'm not reading X-Men right now, you know? Um, so I guess in that regard, I might, I mean, I might drop comics because of it, but I'm not like locked into that position. Like it might be super fun. Um, but again, we don't have to wait and see to be like, ah, oh, but might it be experimental and continue on the foundations of Krakoa? Like, no, <laughs> it won't. It's going to be a reset. Now, two things here. I've resisted the everything is becoming the MCU crowds. I think pretty much at every step. I'm always pretty skeptical of fandoms, like very rapid fire hair trigger assumptions that like things that happen in comics are driven heavily by the MCU. Um, my main, my main point of contention or resistance to that is one, nobody knows what they're talking about. Because I know that the comics people aren't even that connected to the MCU people, right? Like Marvel historically has not known what's coming in the MCU in any significant capacity to the point that they could align their comics appropriately with what's coming, right? Like when, when WandaVision was airing, there was no Scarlet Witch book. Marvel did not have enough copies of the vision for retailers. House of M was out of stock. <laughs> like, like all these preparation type things you could be doing. 
in terms of coordinating. I think Marvel has historically retroactively tried to fit stuff to the MCU. I Maybe there's an exception. I don't really pay that much attention to it, but like maybe there's an exception, but I think I don't know that anything that has happened in Marvel comics has been done so that the MCU could then turn around and use it. The MCU is going to do what it wants to do. It's a bigger behemoth and it's, it's makes way more money. Now there is a sense right now that maybe that relationship is turning. I think, um, and, and certainly the Kamala Khan stuff and Miss Marvel, I think there's a, a real kind of groundswell and an understanding that like, well, these measures were taken in order to connect Miss Marvel being a mutant to the MCU, whereas that was not the case in the comics previously. So I, I definitely think there's, but then even that one is like, which one came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Even that one is like, well, the Miss Marvel Disney Plus series announced that Kamala was a mutant, and then the comics retroactively made that fit. It didn't go the other way first. So I'm I'm very skeptical by the notion that like the Brevoort X Men is 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 going to be driven to align with the MCU because that would imply that Marvel Comics and Brevoort and the staff and all the collaborators are going to know what the MCU is going to do with mutant kind, and I don't think they are. I think the ways they will align and the ways they will synchronize that I would expect based on what has happened before is they will try to put the characters that that fans are going to be seeing in the MCU at the forefront of their storytelling, which again is not – that is exactly what you would expect. <laughs> like it is the most obvious answer. It is just not really what's been happening in the Krakoa era, where there has actually been, I would say, an over-reliance and, and a kind of a, it feels like a social media, online fandom-driven reaction where it's like, you know, every, oh, every X character is someone's favorite. And it's like, that's great that there's a maggot hive out there, but you don't need... Uh, actually, that Megadon going in X-Men Unlimited ruled. So it's a bad example. But even like Betsy Braddock gets brought up a lot as like like that character under the stewardship of, of Teeny Howard was given a ton of, of FaceTime. I mean, essentially, we had a Betsy Braddock ongoing for 40 plus issues. Kind of unfathomable in any previous era of, of X-Men comics. And, you know, I think that's an example where it's like, well, did that work? Was that successful? You know, and I mean, forget quality and whether you liked it or not. It's just like, was that, was that a smart thing for Marvel to be doing? And I, you know, I do also, I, I would push them to say smart can be de defined in a number of ways. Was it financially successful is the obvious one everyone's going to go to in terms of sales, but I care less about that as a fan than I do. Was it qualitatively successful? Was it critically acclaimed? Was it great? Were we just sitting on a great Betsy run? You know? And then it's like, okay, yeah, we need to open those doors as well. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm also curious. You know, there's this sense of like, oh, okay, the MCU's just waiting on X-Men. It's just everything's riding on X-Men. And, and this new era of X-Comics is going to more thoroughly integrate X-Men into the Marvel Universe at large because that's what needs to happen 
for the X-Men to be successful in the MCU. I don't know that that's true. In fact, I don't think it is. Do X-Men work fully integrated as a centerpiece of the Marvel Universe? Not, not even do they work better. Straight up, do they work that way? What are the X-Men comics that you love that are in any way tied to them being like a centerpiece of the Marvel Universe? You know, I think X-Men and Spider-Man work very well kind of isolated in their own territories. A, a Nick Fury cameo is just that. It's a cameo. It's not a sign of like, oh, they're working with S.H.I.E.L.D. now as the new Avengers. Not called that right, but being the X-Men. Like, having just started Spider-Man 2, there is that sense of, wow, Sandman is straight up destroying New York City. Where are all the other heroes, right? A perpetual problem and, and question fans have had since 1962. Um, and that is a suspension of disbelief as a longtime Marvel Comics reader that you should be able to reflexively just kick in. Like if you're actually sitting there bothered that the Fantastic Four aren't showing up and Reed's not sucking Sandman up into a vacuum, you have either not read enough Marvel Comics or you, you just, you're, you're thinking <laughs> about story is, is focused on the wrong things. That is a suspension of disbelief that we allow Marvel at all times since 1961. And I think it helps Spidey because here's the thing. As Miles and Spidey have to take down Sandman, it is a much less interesting story and a way less fun video game if Reed flies in and says, ah, I invented the sand extractor. Whoop, oh, done. <laughs> we don't need that. It's fine. It's a better game this way. I think the same thing applies to X-Men. Like, like, again, there have been attempts over the last decade of Uncanny Avengers stuff and Uncanny Avengers titles. Um, they're all pretty average. They're all... And there are, there are elements of, like, the Remender era Uncanny Avengers that I actually really enjoyed. The weird Kang stuff and the Apocalypse Twins, especially when you get Daniel Cuny in there. I actually liked a lot of that stuff. Um, but I don't need X-Men on an Avengers team. I actually don't think that's super additive or interesting to the Marvel Universe. I like X-Men stories that are mutants managing mutant problems and mutant relations in the world around them. Um, the Krakoa era of X-Men, I think is, you know, it's like for talking about like, oh, they're they're isolated or they're disconnected from the Marvel U, actually establishing a nation that is mutant-owned in the Marvel Universe is about as thoroughly you can integrate them in the Marvel Universe fabric. There's a whole-ass nation <laughs> of mutants, right? Now we put X-Men and mutant kind with Wakanda and Latveria and these incredibly integrated like, you can't get more integrated into the fabric of the Marvel Universe than having an important, made-up nation <laughs> dedicated entirely to you. So, I mean, I don't go back to any era of X-Men comics that you want and tell me the times they were most thoroughly integrated into the Marvel Universe as a whole, where they, like, worked with the Avengers a bunch or with the Fantastic Four a bunch, 
and tell me those are some of your favorite stories. It's just not how they work best. Um, I think they work better in mutant isolation. So, and, and I'm not saying those streams should never cross. Obviously, they do. You know, I think it's kind of cool when Cyclops calls out Nick Fury in the pages of Astonishing X-Men. You know? Um, but then, like, today in Uncanny Avengers, it's kind of trite and hollow and, and frankly, weird when Captain America gives a milquetoast speech about defending his his mutant friends and Quanon swoons over it, and the actual content of the speech is good old Steve Rogers saying, I think Orcus is less than honest. Orcus, who is actively attempting to wipe out all of mutant kind. Call them less than honest. Scathing. Scathing commentary from Steve Rogers. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they play that well together. Avengers vs. X-Men, I'm seeing referenced here. Not a great story. It's okay. It's a fine event. Not great. Would have been better if they let Cyclops cook for a minute. You know? But like, yeah. You get it. You get it. So anyway, it's relaunching. It's refreshing. We don't have to be scared about that. It's the right time for it. This era needs to end. Um, I'm excited for it to have a good ending. I hope the Gillen stuff and Rise of Powers of Ten is everything it could it, I could hope for. You know, I have high hopes there. I have Jerry Duggan. You know, as as much as I think he is a very competent superhero comics writer that Marvel has put in a position to sort of masquerade as a superstar, which he is not. It, it reminds me a ton of the Chicago Bulls. I don't know if I made this analogy on here before, but as Bulls fans now, we, we have an incredibly mid team. Like the definition of mid, we're right in the middle. We almost won exactly the same amount of games we lost last year. We were 40 and 42, okay? But nonetheless, you have a management trying to sell a fan base on DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic as our big three, which is why Chicago Bulls fans have, have named them the mid-three, because they are superstars who will get you to an exact mid-record in, in the, the National Basketball Association. And it's a bummer as a fan because we're just stuck in the middle. It's things are never great, but they're also not bad enough that we can like hope to get better quickly. <laughs> We're just stuck. Um, Duggan is the Bulls of the NBA. The Bulls are my favorite team in the NBA. Uh, but it's it's like don't don't give me Vucevic and tell me I've got LeBron. Right, that's my thing. That's my thing with that. So my my expectations for House Fall of the House of X are pretty low. But the credit I will give is when Duggan has been asked to deliver a Hellfire Gala, spectacular. Um, uh, I feel like there was another example that now I'm blanking on, but the Hellfire Galas, the, the first one and the most recent, they've delivered on that front. So, you know, I'm, 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 I am like, I'm tentative about that. I'm real excited about Gillen and Arby Silva. And this thing needs to end. It's the right time. Um... Come end of 2024, will any of us be reading 
all of all of the X-Men comics? Uh, I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it. But we, it might be like, hey, Uncanny X-Men is really interesting again. You know, there's one to sink your teeth into. It's written by James Tiny in the fourth. It's got art by, uh, ooh, who do we want to draw on this? Elena Casagrande. Um, it's a real cool looking book by a great creative team. Let's check out Uncanny X-Men. You know, and I think the other planet size X-Men. Thank you. That's oh, Mike Eagle jumps in. That's the that's the other big one. Uh, the uh, you know the other thing with this too is Ultimate X Men's launching in twenty twenty four, and that's gonna be driven by Peach Momoko, and it's got at least as a first issue armor set up as like our our main series protagonist. So in terms of like weirdness and creative idiosyncrasy and and experimentalism, you know, in terms of just not being the same stock and trade, hopefully that's being delivered in the pages of Ultimate X Men. You know. Vass says you want Duggan to bat a thousand, which does not mesh with my basketball analogy, but that's fine. We can we can work with that. Um, no, he does not need to bat a thousand. <laughs> he does not need to make every shot. Uh, but if you're going to put the creator in the position of like driving the team and being the superstar of the team, then yeah, they need to perform at a superstar level. You know, I, I think the expectations were raised. When Hickman left and he took over the title that Hickman was writing, they stayed raised when this creator then is writing the Hellfire Galas and they're owning the fall of the House of X, the like the book, right? If you're like, who gets the the follow up concluding run to House of X? You're picking a superstar. You're picking someone you're suggesting is a superstar. So, yes, they need to be able to play at that level. And I do not think. Duggan is that type of comics creator. I think it's kind of wild that anyone would. Um, even if you enjoy it a lot, that's great. I like Zach Levine's game a lot. He's pretty fun to watch. Uh, great score. Losing record. Made the playoffs, what, once? You know? There is a, there is a gap between superstardom and, you know, quality or good competent, right? There are tiers to this stuff. And some people have it and some people don't. Not everyone gets to have it. You know, that's fine. That's fine. So no, this isn't a, I want him to bat a thousand thing. That's ridiculous. Nobody, like, Al Ewing, not every issue is a banger. Mortal Thor number three, <laughs> talk about today, you know? And he's, he's probably my, my favorite working creator at Marvel. So like, no, the, the standard is not, the standard is not unreasonable. It is not, the, the hopes are not unreasonable. They are not misaligned with the position that the creator has been put in, you know? And it's fine if you enjoy them. That's the point. I enjoy DeRozan and Vucevic and Levine. The Bulls are still 40 and 42 and not making the playoffs. Is this working still? Synology? Maybe I'm just mad about the polls. Anyway. Anyway, get in your questions, get in your thoughts. Man, I've been talking this whole time. Haven't once mentioned our sponsor. Not once. We were sponsored today by Big Water. Oh, there it is. Big Water is brought to you by Ice from the local fridge. That ice has now melted. The bottle's sweating a little, as am I. Both sweating a little. 
a lot, if we're being honest. And uh, Big Water today is about a quarter full. And I've only used it once. That's a rarity. Must be getting better. Must be post-COVID here. Apparently everybody at New York Comic Con got COVID. That sounds miserable. Like, how do you, I, I don't know how you go to a con right now or any event if you haven't had COVID and think you're getting out of there not getting it. <laughs> like, that, yeah. I mean, good luck to everybody there with their recovery and all that. I definitely know some folks who had a time with it, as I did. All right. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts. I don't know that I have that much specifically to say about new comics today, frankly. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about whatever I wanted to a moment ago. Let's see. What do we got? <laughs> Vengeance says Rom V on an X book would be nice. It's true. That is true. Rom V is very good. Uh, <laughs> Pepto says Dan Slot on the new Franklin X-Men book. Okay. You're joking, I think. Do not rule out Dan Slot joining the X-Office. Not only do not rule it out, but kind of assume it's going to happen. <laughs> like, Tom Brevoort's been an editor at Marvel about as long as I've been alive. And he's got favorites. He's got his guys, and they're guys who are going to get work. Dan Slott's one of them. Remember when everybody's all excited after Secret Wars? It was like, oh, they're bringing Fantastic Four back. Who's it going to be? Al Ewing? Chip Zdarsky? Is it circa 2018 or whatever? Nope. Dan Slott. <laughs> 50 issues, baby. Greg Land is going to be on an X-Book. Get ready for it. It's going to happen. Uh, these these are the things that are coming. Vengeance says, "Damn, that's tough for Duggan." Is it? Am I am I alone in this? Like, <laughs> like is saying is saying that this creator a solid is a solid superhero writer, but not a superstar. Is that at odds with with the fandom? Is it? And, and I don't, like, it won't change my opinion of it, but I'm just curious. Like, is that, first off, like, that that is not, when I say that, I don't feel like I'm being harsh, actually. I feel like I'm giving pretty measured reality of the situation. I'm not being as harsh as I could be, for sure, right? In the same way that I'm not as harsh as I could be of DeMar DeRozan never learning to shoot a three because I kind of like watching him play and I like listening to his daughter scream at the Raptors. Warren Wilson says, this is now a Bulls sub-channel. That's fair. NBA season's back. I saw David Harper of Sketch today shared, uh, I think a John Carpenter quote that was basically, I don't want to do anything else except play video games and watch basketball. That's exactly where I am in my life. <laughs> except you could add in read good comics. Like, those are the three things. Sorry, family. I'm sorry. But video games, comics, basketball. We're going to be talking bulls. I know it's going to be hard for some of you. It's going to be hard for me. They stink. They're going to stink. Not as bad as the Bears, though. Oof, don't get me started. All right. Uh, Uli says he'd never come back, but I'd like to see Reminder back. Well, he won't. 
He won't, so don't tease us. Don't taunt us with the possibility of the return of the mighty Rick Remender. He has been very clear, I think very admirably so, about his complete disinterest. To the point, like, if Rick Remender returned to a big two book, it would actually be very dispiriting. Um, <laughs> because he's been so vocal about never doing that again because he doesn't need to anymore, which is like more power to you. I don't know that it's quite on the level of it's it's not on this level. But like if I found out Ken Griffey Jr. had done steroids, like I'd be like heartbroken. <laughs> like it would take me it would take me weeks to get over that. Um, and uh, and Remender returning to Big Two Comics has a, has a similar vibe at this point. Vass says, what did you think of Gene Gray today? June Gator, number three. Okay. Gene, Gene Gray mini, written by Louis Simonson. We got her here by Bernard Chang. It's this rare, like this is the era of the flashback miniseries. Marvel gets out the legacy greats, says, hey, Peter David, Chris Claremont, Anna Santhi, Jam DeMatis, you want to write a flashback mini? You know, tap into that nostalgia, talk about the old days, and they do it. Jean Grey is this rare flashback mini with purpose and current day ties. Like shockingly, like, like it mentioned the White Hot Room today and Hope being there. Like real current stuff just dropped in a more, the last issue of Immortal X-Men. It gives me a sliver of hope for these flashback minis. Like I, I'm pretty excited this is what Louis Simonson gets to do. And she's doing a good job with it. She's giving an X-Men history lesson. She's giving a Jean Grey history lesson. But it's also, like, actually relevant to the proceedings of ongoing comics. That's cool. I'm glad Simonson gets to do that. I thought this third issue was, was probably my least favorite of the bunch because the first two tapped into this also this, like, what-if vein that was pretty inherently compelling. I didn't think the third one did this as much. It was really just, like... Hey, y'all remember Inferno? Um, but I, I really like that this series exists, and I like that Simonson's getting this at bat. It's definitely a thing. Again, I've said this before. I wish this is what X-Men Legends had been. Instead of just literal, hey, this happened between issues 41 and 42 of X-Factor back in 1986. Or I guess it'd be 88. Um, instead of that, you know, just like actual like relevance and meaning. So, yeah, it's a cool book. It's a cool book. I didn't like this issue that much, but it's a very cool book. Alfonso says, Mark Wade on X-Force. <laughs> oof, oof. Talk about miscast. Talk about miscast. Listen, I appreciate it. I appreciate the comment, but but no. <laughs> no, thank you. I would not enjoy that. I'm seeing a super chat here from Brandon Jones. I'm seeing another one from Cousin Marcus. Thank you, Brandon Jones and Cousin Marcus. Definitely really appreciate you hopping in here and super chatting the channel. Let's see, Cousin Marcus says, Streets need the CBH pitch for Uncanny X-Men number one, 2024. I mean, I think I kind of gave it today. I guess I kind of gave it. So I got James Tiny in the fourth. I've got Elena Casagrande on my my writer and artist. We're going to get Hassan, Hassan Otsman Elway. No, no, Hassan Otsman Elhau, I believe, on lettering and uh let's see i don't know who colored whoever colored casagrande on on the black widow series she did with um kelly thompson okay that's our creative team obviously we got tom reward as the head editor uh it's going to be magic and nightcrawler have teleported and and uh manifold rather 
have teleported the remains of the X-Mansion to Araco. Mutants are no longer safe on Earth. They're working on that, but in the meantime, they're going back to being a school again. On the planet Araco, trying to fit in and figure out the culture of the Arakian people. Uh, that is my pitch. You're going to have a, a integrated classroom of Earthborn mutants and Araco mutants. It is going to be very school-focused. Uh, the, the kids are going to be major players. We are going to have our main X-Men as heroes again. Uh, what kind of battles will they wage? Uh, of course, there will be continued elements of Sentinels, galactic issues. Obviously, you'll have ambassadors and teams back to Earth on occasion to fight those battles as well. But like, I think that is my now because you've asked pitch for Uncanny X Men number one. I'd be I'd be into that book. I think I actually would. I think I'd read that. What do we What do we have to do? What bribes do we have to drop? to get Tynion to consider writing X-Men, which let's be clear. Like if I'm his advisor, right? If, if the massively successful Eisner winning Tynion is like, um, I need a, a presidential advisor to my comics career, which he clearly does not. <laughs> and he says, should I take uncanny X-Men? I would say no. I would give a very quick, hard no. I think that's a bad idea. For someone in his position. It's a great idea for me as a fan. But for him, that's a bad idea. I don't think you want to be... There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk to taking over as the next big writer post-Hickman's House and Powers. Because that's the bar it's going to be held against. It is. Um, so... It's a risky proposition if you're taking that book. Now, if you nail it, if you've got the juice and you're confident that you can, you're going to be adored for a while, you know? Uh, but I like for someone in his position who doesn't need it, I'd say, no, don't take that book. I think it's got to be somebody who's hungrier, somebody who hasn't, who has Eisner winning potential but hasn't hit that stratosphere yet, you know, um, I think that's probably a better fit. If I'm, again, just as an advisor, as a fan, I think it sounds awesome. All right, what else do we got? Braden says I'm being generous in his opinion on, on my assessment of Jerry Duggan. Thank you. I think that's very clear, um, but it seems to just be you and me. <laughs> Vincent says, I'm not sure a creative team will be enough to generate X hype. I mean, that is a, on one hand, it's clearly untrue because like Jonathan Hickman obviously has a fandom to the point that House and Powers, like that had an enormous amount of hype pre-launch and that was not based on the premise. It was not based on the books. We basically just knew the names. We didn't know who was in them. I mean, that was, that was creative driving hype around a book. So, that's not the only way you can sell a comic. Obviously, I think to the average fan, it's a, it's a bit of an inside baseball kind of thing. But there's a there's a realm. I mean, that you know, there there's conversation this week about like, does comics need more rock stars? And we're not going to do the whole thing here. But like, 
you know, we've talked about this before, just like names that have the selling power of of a Hickman at this point, like for an American comic superhero comics audience, you know, are are generally not available or interested um, or alive, <laughs> for being honest, in most cases. So, Vengeance is pitching Scott Snyder on Wolverine, James Tynion on X-Men, Donnie Cates on X-Force. I don't know what the status of Donnie is. I hope he's recovering nicely from his injuries. Uh, I mean, listen, that would sell books. No question about that. No question, that would sell some comics for a little while. Nuck Nuck says Benjamin Percy on Venom. Not a bad fit, actually. I know you're teasing me. How dare you? But that's not a bad fit. Okay. Get in your questions, get in your thoughts. Listen, like, we're over time, y'all. This has gone so long. How did I have this much to say? Nothing happened today. Good grief. Get in your questions, get in your thoughts. Ah, it's big water. It's good stuff. Okay, uh, quick hit thoughts on today's comics. Uncanny Avengers number three. Duggan wrote a very old-fashioned Captain America speech as the centerpiece of the issue. And while I agree with a lot of the sentiment, it ultimately felt woefully hollow, cliched, and ineffectual. Uh, It actually reminded me a lot of Nick Spencer's attempts to write Cap, Circus Secret Empire, and these kind of, what they imagine to be powerful speeches that I think on the page actually are like, oh, wow, that's like really weak-willed. And maybe that's kind of their perception of Cap, that he's, you know, he's always trying to sort of, he is kind of middle of the road, and down the center and kind of trying to please everyone and shaking hands with old racist ladies who threw malts at him, which is like, that's the thing that happens in this issue. Um, But I kind of would have liked the cap with a little more backbone in this one, you know, like he's on a team with mutants. He knows what actually happened at the Hellfire Gala. Orcus tried to kill him. He could come down a little harder than, I think Orcus is less than honest. That's a thing I, I say to my first grader about his first grade friend who is a big liar. <laughs> I, I don't say to him, sounds like your friend's a big liar because I don't want him to repeat that. And I don't want him to like be calling him names. That's how Cap is talking to this crowd. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Maybe this worked better for others. Again, I, I like the sentiment. There are moments to it where you can see what Duggan is doing in terms of, like, Americans should not be afraid of what we're reading. Yeah, I agree. Book bans suck. They're super lame. Book banners are are just absolute lunatics. Okay? Um, but guess what, Cap? Uh, Americans are afraid of what we're reading. Americans are afraid of what their neighbors are reading, of what our children might read. That is happening. That ship has sailed, saying we should not be from the voice of power, Steve Rogers, like that has no power. That does nothing. I like the sentiment. I think it's hollow. Uncanny Spider-Man, number two. I like this book. Size <laughs> Sy- Furrier's writing uh, a pretty solid 
Nightcrawler cosplays the Spider-Man book. You got Rhino involved. You got Vulture involved. You got Silver Sable. Just getting immediately swept up in the animal magnetism of Nightcrawler. And here's the thing. If I fell into a tunnel with Kurt Wagner, I would absolutely, no questions asked, just fall in love. <laughs> right? If you fall into a tunnel with Kurt Wagner and you don't fall in love, my condolences to the loss of your heart. I'm sorry for your loss. I wish it was still there. Kurt is going to bring in anyone who lands on top of him. And it happened to Silver Sable here today. I liked, I liked the bit about her blaming his pheromones. And he's like, no, that's that's not even one of my gimmicks. Um, speaking of Cy Spurrier, Flash number two, pretty interesting. I think I liked it more than the first issue. There's some some odd Speed Force, what's happening with Barry stuff. I'm sensing some potential for some real meta kind of, you know, can Flash kind of animal man us and like step off the comics page stuff. If that comes down the road, I'm pretty interested in this run. DC's relaunches are are in a pretty compelling place between Flash relaunching with Spurrier at the helm, trying some interesting stuff with Wonder Woman under the pen of Tom King. I mean, good grief. Like, you've got, you know, like proto-World War III happening here worldwide, right? We got just like madness across the globe. And you got Tom King writing a second issue about America launching an invasion against Wonder Woman and the commentary on war that, you know, is pretty typical of King's work. It is ambitious. It is dangerous ground. It is not, like, in and of itself an especially fantastic comic book. There's some structural stuff that you can feel King playing with. Um, but, like, the the ambition of this book and and kind of just, like, Again, kind of the fearlessness to like put that on paper. Like, listen, how many creators are going to step up on a book with this many eyeballs with Wonder Woman and be like, yeah, I'll have America go to war with Wonder Woman and like, and like be very explicit about that. You know, it's not a lot. And I don't like, I'm not even saying that that is like, oh, it's so great that that happened. I don't know that I feel that way. But like the fact that someone has taken that swing, I'm like, kind of actually like, whoa, wow. Okay. Doing this. Let's see where it goes. See where it goes. Uh, what else? What did we talk about? Immortal Thor number three. <clears throat> is this fascinatingly old-fashioned? Was my main takeaway from this issue? You got thought bubbles galore. Thor's thinking in like Stan Lee exposition of how his powers work. It's really weird. It's clearly a deliberate choice. You know, Ewing's not doing that by accident. I kind of wonder if there's going to be more to that. Like, why is he thinking so old-fashioned? Is the whole series going to run like this? I can also appreciate the whole, like, the whole ass issue is a Loki versus Thor riddle off. In theory, that sounds very up my alley. You know, there's an ambition to that, but it is not an especially exciting read. <laughs> it's really not. Three issues into Immortal Thor, <clears throat> it does not have the juice of Immortal Hulk. I think we can pretty safely declare that. Um, I'm still giving Al Ewing a lot of benefit of the doubt, though. And I'm, I'm going to be reading, I mean, probably all this run. Like, it would have to really fall off a cliff through six issues for me not to be like, yeah, I'm going to keep giving this a chance. Although I am curious. I mean, obviously, like, Marvel is very susceptible to, you know, cancellation of titles that are not performing. Like, is Immortal Thor going to strike? 
because <clears throat> it does not have that Immortal Hulk juice. And it is it is not giving you the big-ass Guardian action stuff that I think they assume a lot of comics fans want. You know? So I'm I'm curious how long this lasts. If it gets the 50 issues that he wants. I want it to get there. I absolutely do. But, you know, like how many riddle-offs <laughs> before, before people riot? I don't know. Okay. Final thing. What's good? What is good? Let's see. What do we got? Parasocial. It's a graphic novel from Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson. It is basically misery. <clears throat> Stephen King's misery, but with a celebrity at a Comic-Con and a fan who's been stalking him. Fast read. Great art. Compelling. Read it in one sitting. Don't know that it's one of my favorites of the year, but it's in the ballpark. It's in the conversation. Also, my name appears. Comic Book Herald appears twice in this book, which would you think would make it my favorite comic, but it actually did not. The Gay Who Turned Kaiju. I've had this on my radar purely based on the title for months now. I finally just went over and grabbed a copy at my local library. Uh, this was a fascinating manga, The Gay Who Turned Kaiju. Um, it was... I thought it was going to be way more cliched about this bullied gay teenager, you know, kind of written for a middle-aged audience. And there are moments when it feels like it's going to be, but then it's also extremely weird. <laughs> and like, like just, you kind of have to read it to believe it. You kind of do. So if, the, if you see that title and you're like, what, what is that? Give it, give it a chance. Give it a look. It was a very interesting comic. And this one's a wreck. This one's my, my, one of my best, uh, one of the best comics 2023 that I've read it's called This Country, Searching for Home in Very Rural America. And it is, um, how to describe this? It's about a the author and his wife move from San Francisco to Idaho. They buy a bunch of land, and they're going to build their home and try to live off the land in incredibly rural Idaho. And uh, I love this book. It's so good. Great graphic novel. One of my favorites of the entire year. Um, I was I was a little worried, you know, because it's there's a lot of, stress in the news right now. And that's from the privileged perspective of just seeing it here from Chicago. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of like, do I want to dive into this book about, you know, bigotry and the hostility that, you know, a non-white person would face adventuring into very rural Idaho during like, you know, peak Trump era, 2016. And, uh, and it's not it's not just that. There are elements of that, but that's not it's not so heavy into that that it's like politically overwhelming, I suppose. Um there's you know, there's no denying those elements to the experience, but it's a great read. Really, really recommend it. Again, it's this country searching for home in very rural America. All right. I think that's gonna do it. Thanks everybody for joining. Man, we went way long today. What's going on? Did I start late? What's happening? We talked this long. Thanks, everybody, for joining. I'll be back next week because we got Ultimate Invasion number one. Maybe I'll have some more Marvel Spider-Man 2 thoughts if all goes well. Thanks, y'all, for joining. Like, subscribe, share the channel, all that stuff. I'm Dave. Enjoy the comics. <laughs>